0: You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews chapter 4. I would be reading verses 1 through 13. Hebrews 4, 1 through 13. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed entered that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, thou shalt not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Yeah, that's a me thing. (laughs) Technology, baby. Um, we have Redemption Hill Kids this morning. So, if it serves you, parents, to have your children in Redemption Hill Kids, it's for two to four and then ages five to nine. Thank you f- to those who are serving in Redemption Hill Kids. Also, if you're staying in the service, kids, we do have our sermon notes freshly printed. They're in the table in the hallway there, along with totes, again, if that serves you. Uh, one note about this particular space um, as most of you know, we've been in the cafeteria, and for three weeks, if you've been in the gym, and, we're still figuring out what's the best use of space for us, and so uh, thanks for your patience and your flexibilities. We've kind of, kind of navigated um, you know, the di- different changes. It got, got a little hot in here earlier, and we're all kind of like, dude, I'm sorry, sweating, and it's not even 8.30. It's not supposed to be like that, and so we're, we're working out some things and working with the school, so thanks for, again for your patience and flexibility. Well, as you can tell from the public reading of God's Word, we're continuing our sermon series through the book of Hebrews. We've been going pretty slowly and intentionally going through verse by verse, chapter by chapter. The big idea of the entire book of Hebrews is that God has spoken. And he has spoken definitively and supremely through his son, Jesus Christ. The pattern we see in Hebrews is the author telling us about the greatness of jesus pastor rob pointed this out already jesus is greater than the angels jesus is is greater than moses and so he does that and then he shifts gears a little bit and he's like well and by the way i need to exhort you right now because jesus is greater and that's kind of where we're at this morning we're at this exhortation passage we a warning passage. It's almost like, in light of everything I've said thus far, do not forget, he is greater. And I'm going to warn you that if you drift, life goes sideways. And so we're going to hear that today. Today's passage is beautiful. And as we walk through it, I think it'll make you a better reader of the Bible. While also challenging you to fight the good fight of faith. I put this in front of your eyes last week, and I want to do it again this morning. It's from our confession of faith, and it certainly connects with what we're seeing in Hebrews 3 and in Hebrews 4. Here's our confession of faith from chapter 24, section 7. I'll just read it to you this morning. On the seventh day of creation, our God rested from all his labors and bids us to receive this Sabbath rest as a gift. For the Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. That's just Mark 2.27. The Sabbath law was then commanded in the Decalogue, think Ten Commandments, for Israel to work six days and rest on the seventh. You're already hearing the book of Hebrews right now, right? Chapter 4. The New Testament promises a Sabbath rest that remains for the people of God. We should therefore strive, that word pops up in verse 11 of today's text, we should strive therefore to enter that rest by hearing his voice, not hardening our hearts, Psalm 95, resting from our labors and putting our faith and trust in Jesus, our true rest, rather than striving in our flesh. So you clearly see how that connects. One final point before I pray and ask for God's aid. Dean read Hebrews one or 4, verses 1 to 13. I will not address verses 12 and 13 this morning. Uh, Those two verses, you know, you'll find those particular verses on T-shirts in people's homes as well up on the wall. Uh, I'm going to deal with those independently. Obviously, they're connected, but I want to really put a spotlight on that. So we'll we'll get to that in the next week or two. So let me pray. I need God's help, and we'll get into God's Word. Heavenly Father, I certainly need your help this morning. So in the power of the Spirit, help me to be clear about what you've already spoken. We come under your word this morning, needing to be instructed and helped. I pray for my precious friends that are in front of me this morning, that in the power of the Spirit, through the preaching of your word, you would speak to their mind and their heart. And as we look at Rest as you've designed it, O Lord. Help us to think well about this particular topic as we look through Hebrews 4. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Augustine opens up his autobiography with these words. Our heart is restless until it rests in you. It's Confessions, Book 1, Section 1. No one knew this better than Augustine. It was not until 386 AD, at the age of 31, that Augustine was converted. Prior to his conversion, Augustine sought the pleasures of the world. He he engaged in philosophy, right? He's hanging out with all the best thinkers. Everyone knew Augustine had this brilliant mind and he lived worldly And yet, for 31 years of his life, he never found rest. His heart was restless until the grace, mercy, and love of God broke in on his life. And then finally, then finally, after striving in his flesh, he finally understood what it meant for the heart to be at rest in God. I think we saw the truth in Augustine's words last week as we began to look at the importance of biblical rest from Hebrews 3. The theme obviously continues this morning, but it's going to take some Bible work to grasp how the author of Hebrews builds his argument for rest. Like, here's the picture that came to mind as I was just, I I don't know if I have read a passage more over and over and over again and trying to understand, understand it so that I can communicate it to you than this particular passage. And this is what kind of came to mind. Like, have you ever observed the front and back sides of a tapestry? If you don't know, a tapestry is a form of textile art traditionally woven by hand on a loom. My daughter Izzy was doing that yesterday. And like, you see the front side of the tapestry and the picture's really clear. And then but the back side of the tapestry, it's kind of a hot mess, and you're just kind of wondering in your head, how do all these particular threads come together? What kind of picture is it trying to show me? Like when I was in Afghanistan and Pakistan, I saw the most beautiful tapestries. Beautiful pictures, right? But you look on the backside and you're kind of like, how did, how did all that How does all this come together? As we've been making our way through the book of Hebrews, we've been weaving a lot of threads together. And there have been times, at least for me, I've wondered, how do these threads come together to show us something beautiful? To show us someone who is great? Today's passage, I think, for me, punctuates my point. As you read from one verse to the next, you might wonder, what picture is being created for me? My goal this morning is to show you part of the other side of the tapestry. Knowing that more of the picture will come into view as we continue to go through Hebrews. Here are a couple threads of the tapestry that are woven for us this morning. Hebrews 4 places obviously an emphasis on rest. Physical and spiritual rest. There's some thought. That we should only think about biblical rest in spiritual terms. I'm actually going to push back on that. I'm going to argue that physical rest and spiritual rest are deeply connected. The two are connected and it's important. So that's one thread that's going to be woven. Another thread that weaves in and out of this one is the need to persevere in our rest until we obtain a final rest. And these threads and others that we'll see in the future show us the beauty and majesty of Jesus Christ. So let's see how these threads are woven together. And then hopefully at the end of this sermon, we'll just kind of turn the tapestry around and hopefully you see, see the beauty. The word, uh, therefore, right away, verse 1 of chapter 4, connects this passage with what we read in the latter part of Hebrews 3. Read with me verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Last week, we saw that if you want to rest, unlike the first generation that came out of slavery, out of Egypt, in order to rest, you need to trust and obey God. That was last week's sermon in a nutshell. Don't be like Israel. Trust and obey God. So I'll save you the time from listening to that sermon with that summary. Now I'm going to allow you into the head and heart of a younger Sean Powers. There's an old hymn um, that the church would sing that, that I attended at the time, and I actually recoiled at the lyrics. I recoiled because in my pride, I do not like being told what to do. The chorus goes like this. And, and some of you who've been in church most of your life, you know this song. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Trust and obey. Oh, I had no problem trusting in Jesus as my Savior. That's not a problem. I've been redeemed, I've been forgiven. I have eternal life because of the sacrificial work of Christ. He rose from the dead. Yes and amen, I, I, I trust Christ. Not a problem when I was 21, 22. But early in my Christian walk, I recoiled at obeying God. Jesus is my Savior, but would I obey him as my Lord? The first generation that came out of Egypt cannot do either. Which is why they were never at rest with God. If you're seeking rest in your life, mental, spiritual, or physical, the key ingredients are trust in Jesus Christ and a humble obedience to God. And you should fear, that's what we see today, you should fear the danger of drifting away when you do not trust and obey God. Like That's the warning I was talking about. Now, why does the author of Hebrews tell us to fear drifting away? That's verse one. Because drifting away from God is to drift away from his rest. Drifting away from God is to drift away from his rest. Imagine you had the opportunity, and try to describe what fear means here. Imagine you had the opportunity to skydive. Right? That sounds crazy. I mean, sign me up, but a lot of people are like not going there when you are 10,000 feet in the air, it is okay to have a little fear. (laughs) Probably normal. Is everything strapped correctly? Like you want to make sure that parachute's on. You want to make sure that the primary parachute and the backup parachute work. And hopefully the guy who's helping you has been doing this for 30 years is not some rookie. Because if he's been doing it for 30 years, you know he's he's still alive. (laughs) He's been successful. And so a little f- that kind of fear is, can be a good thing, fear in God. Fear, when rightly understood, can help tether our relationship with God. So you look at Israel, and they're wandering in the desert. And I say, I do not want to become like them. They clearly did not fear God. And I need to rightly fear God, a reverential fear. I want to find rest, unlike that first generation that came out of Egypt. And Why would someone not find rest? The last verse of Hebrews 3 and of Hebrews 4, too give us the same answer. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So the good news, think about, it, the good news was proclaimed to Israel. Like, I made this point last week. Other than the disciples of Jesus Christ, is there another generation that saw more of the works of God than that first generation that came out of Egypt? No. And they could not obtain rest because they were not united to God by faith. Uh, Theodore of Cree, Cyrus, excuse me, from the 4th and 5th century, has said this about this particular verse. Hearing the words does not suffice for salvation. Salvation, excuse me, accepting it in faith is necessary and holding it firm. After all, what benefit was God's promise to those who received it but did not receive it faithfully? Trust in the power of God or as it were, associate closely with God's word. And this is the point of Hebrews 4, that we need to fear unbelief. We need to fear that unbelief. We need to plead and pray with Mark 9, verse 24, in front of our eyes. I believe, help my unbelief. I'm going I'm to level, level with you. I don't know one Christian who has not needed to pray against unbelief and for greater faith. The author of Hebrews continues to build on this theme, and he gives us more to consider. The author of Hebrews continues to use the story of Israel in the wilderness as a story of unbelief and thus anti-rest. They grumbled. They complained. I mean, that should be a heart check for all of us, right? Grumbling and complaining. God constantly provided, right? God constantly provided, but it was never enough. The bottom line is that if you find me a person who is grumbling and complaining, then I'll show you a person who is not at rest in general and certainly not at rest with God. Now, Israel's like a negative example, right? That's, that's what's given to us in the text. It's a negative example, which does persist in Hebrews 4. However, the author of Hebrews also connects the thread of rest back to the creation of the world and then kind of chronologically moves forward into eternity. That is what we see beginning in verse 4. The foundation of biblical rest is faith and obedience, but it leads to an everlasting hope and an eternal rest. So, we need to receive the warning not to become like Israel, but we need to see what God is doing as he continues to weave the threads of the tapestry. You could easily lay like these four categories on top of this passage, in particular, verse 4 to verse 11. We see how rest was in creation, right? We'll talk about that in a moment. And we to see that rest is broken because of the fall. But we also see the redemption of rest and then a future rest. In these verses, we see the example of rest in the creation of the world. We see how God's design for rest was corrupted because of sin. And then we see how God redeems it all because, from the stain of sin. And then we look forward glory awaits, we sang, right? Glory awaits for all of the redeemed. A future rest. We read in verse 4 a reference to Genesis 2-2. Let's kind of walk through those four categories one at a time. For he... Has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. God created the world in six days, and he rested on the seventh. As I mentioned last week, God did not need to physically rest. He did not get tired and then all of a sudden realized it was Sunday and he needed to take a break. Sabbath rest is what we call a creation ordinance. Before sin entered the world, before Moses gave the law to the people, God shows us the importance of rest. So why did God rest on the seventh day? If he didn't need to take a break and put his feet up on the recliner? why did He rest on the seventh day? God rested to give us an example. Unlike God, we have physical limitations. We need to rest to re- recharge, right? My girls can tell you that almost every night I pray with them, right? And we sing the doxology. And almost every night I pray, very specifically, that we would receive rest as a gift from God. Receive rest as a gift from God. I don't think we think about rest in those terms, in those manners. And we should. Rest is a gift. And we should acknowledge to God, thank you for the rest in which you give. But there's a greater theological point being made. Take a look at verses 8 to 10. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for God's people. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. In a moment, I will explain what Joshua has to do with rest. But I want you to see the appeal being made in these verses. God rested on the seventh day. Therefore, you need to rest on the seventh day of the week. That's kind of the appeal in this passage. Now, some of you might anticipate that I'm going to talk about what happens on Sunday, the Lord's Day. Does God continue to call us to observe the Sabbath? Or has Jesus fulfilled that part of the law? There are multiple perspectives on these questions, and I plan to squarely address them next week. I'm going to kind of leave you hanging. What does he believe about that? Next week. But I'll make two comments that most Christians can agree agree upon, especially my second point. We gather on Sunday to rest from our labors, and we gather on Sunday to worship God as families and as as a church family. I think most people can say yes and amen to that. Number two, we need to be reminded that we are to spiritually rest in Christ. So both are true at the same time. Physical rest, spiritual rest. Spiritually resting in Christ. Again, I'll tease out the particulars next week. For now, there is a precedent, I think, to rest on the seventh day of the week, as we know it, Sunday, that extends back to Genesis 1 and 2. Now untangle that a little bit because there are questions there. So rest in general is good. It is a gift. Jesus took naps, right? So feel free to take the nap and then praise God for the nap. God, who does not need to rest, gives us the example of rest. But something happens in Genesis 3. A little bit of biblical theology going on here. Genesis 3, which the author of Hebrews is very aware of. As the serpent deceives Adam and Eve, and sin is now a part of God's creation. Everything is touched by the stain of sin, including God's gift of rest physical and spiritual. We all feel the effects of not getting rest, right? You feel it, I feel it. Like, you know what life's like when you don't sleep well? Like at night or multiple nights in a row? And sometimes a person's lack of rest is self induced. <laughs> Stayed up a little too late watching that movie. For all of you workaholics out there, you know if you continue to push yourself, you hit a wall, and you feel the bricks kind of fall on you. The inability to rest is because of sin. But more significantly, because of sin, the relationship between God and man, that access to rest with God, has been broken. The source of ultimate rest, in a sense, was taken away. As you and I know, since Genesis 3, rest has been a struggle for humanity. In part, that is because people look for rest in all the wrong places, right? Go back to Augustine. He was looking for 31 years, approximately. He was looking for rest in all the wrong places. It's like sand that was constantly slipping through the hands. There is a reason why the author of Hebrews says that we need to strive after rest, Back to Hebrews 8 for a moment. After the death of Moses, Joshua was instructed to take God's people into the promised land. Just like the Garden of Eden was a place of rest, right? The promised land was supposed to be a place of rest. That's Joshua 21. A theologian, Thomas Schreiner, points out, God's rest in creation and the rest of Israel in the land have an eschatological character. That means future, right? God's creation rest anticipates the rest that will become a reality in the new creation. Eden and the promised land are shadows of another Eden or another promised land. Joshua could not give the spiritual and lasting rest that they needed. David wrote Psalm 95 because he knew that Moses and Joshua could not provide the lasting rest that God desires for his people, that he desires for you and me. And the author of Hebrews knows that as well, which is why Psalm 95 is quoted multiple times in Hebrews 3 in Hebrews 4. What we see in Joshua, just as we saw with Moses in the first half of Hebrews 3, is a type or shadow of a greater rest. It is not a coincidence that Joshua, the name Joshua and the name Jesus are the same, which means God delivers. So you see this foreshadowing. That's what the author of Hebrews picks up. All this leads us to the path of redemption, the redemption of rest. All this leads to God keeping his covenant promises. Redemption redemption is the path back toward God restoring his relationship with his people. We saw this last week. Again, I keep referencing that because all these passages, all these messages are connected. Psalm 95 is quoted to implore you to strive for rest in Christ. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. In quoting Psalm 95 and picking it up here in Hebrews 4, the Lord is imploring you if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. That is the gospel proclama- proclamation for today, right? Today, if you hear the voice of God, if it is true and if it's good, if you hear the voice, The way to restore that broken relationship with God is by believing that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus died for your sins and offers forgiveness. And Jesus did not stay in the grave. He is risen. The Son of God is currently sitting at the right hand of the Father. And he will judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom will have no end. today, if you hear this voice, do not harden your heart. But humility, come to the creator and sustainer of the world and find rest. Do not be like Israel and reject the good news, verse 2, of Hebrews 4, but receive the good news by faith. This gospel message, which offers rest, it's not just for the unbeliever. But it's for all, for all of us. Because every day is a battle against unbelief. remember, the author of Hebrews, this is a sermon originally, and the author of Hebrews is preaching this to a people who've been converted to Christianity. Even they, and probably persecuted, and even they need to hear the exhortation to battle against unbelief. Day after day is a battle to find rest in Christ. And all this sounds a bit paradoxical, right? How do you continually strive after rest? That doesn't seem very restful. (laughs) Strive after this. That doesn't seem like I'm resting. Here's an example of what I think is going on. Here's an example of the call to strive for rest and obtaining rest. I love Sharice. We've been married for for over 16 years. But here's what I've learned about marriage just in general, right? It takes work. In a very real sense, we need to strive to be at peace or to be at rest in our marriage. Anyone who's been married for longer than five minutes knows that's the truth. You need to work at it. What happens when you do not strive or work at your relationship with your spouse? You drift away from the other person. I mean, at this point, I'm giving marriage advice, but right, it's true. You drift away. And there is no rest in that relationship if it is not pursued and cultivated. We need to strive to be at rest with God. Consider the alternative. Are you at rest with God when you're not putting in the effort, as it were? I probably doubt it. I'm not not talking about a Christian's position necessarily before God, right? I'm talking about the kind of relationship Christians need to cultivate with God as we strive for rest. It's hard to grow in your relationship with your spouse if you're absent. The same is with God. So here's how I would sum up the the trajectory of rest in history. Perhaps you consider this the summary of the way the threads of the tapestry come together. On the seventh day, God rested. God demonstrated a physical pattern for us to follow. More on that next week. In addition to the pattern, men and women are at rest in their relationship with God. And then sin messed it up. Sin has touched everything, but God in his grace and mercy has called the people to himself to be at rest. God made a way for his people to be at rest. But here's the deal. Not everyone responds to the call of God, as we see with the first generation of of Israel that came out of Egypt. We should look at Israel and heed the warning. We must not harden our hearts toward God, but we are called to strive after God. I would also add we strive together as a local church after after god we strive to enter his rest through faith in jesus christ but let's be honest for a moment it's not uncommon for a person to strive and become weary striving or persevering takes time it takes energy it takes doing you wake up in the morning and you meet and immediately there are 10 things on your list When do you have time to pray, to read your Bible, or to have that conversation with that friend that you know that you need to have? You wake up in the morning pleading with God for the strength, like on Sunday morning, to get to church. We all know that life can be a grind, and in the midst of the grind, we need to strive to enter an ultimate rest with God. Now, I could take five to ten minutes to talk about ways we need to reprioritize our life And so that it's centered on and always aimed toward God. In light of the warning against unbelief, I could easily talk about ways to cultivate faith. I'm going to table that for another day. And besides, you probably already know the areas that you need to reprioritize in your life in order to be at rest. But I'm going to take you down the road that the book of Hebrews actually goes down. Hebrews 4 is leading us down the road to see a final rest and a final home. It is leading us to a day when we will no longer need to work to receive rest. Resting from works means that human beings stop working because their faith, their excuse me, their works are completed just as God ceased working on the seventh day in creation. In other words, your striving is not in vain. You need to hear that this morning. Your striving is not in vain. Even if you're weary this morning, it's not in vain vain. Here's a sneak peek of what is down the road. In Hebrews 11, the great faith chapter, we read about what Abraham was looking forward to in his day. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Could you imagine that? Like This is like before GPS, before the cell phone, before we had solid maps. God calls Abraham, hey, I, I need you to go um, over here. Um, hundreds of miles away and uh, you, you in for it and it's like by faith he's like yeah i'm going who does that i'd be like get me the rand McNeely map man give me something but he by faith was going by faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land living in tents with isaac and jacob heirs with him of the same promise For he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. With Abraham, again, we see how faith and obedience are key ingredients to following God and to being at rest. Abraham lived his life with faith and obedience to God, and that led him to a place that Augustine would call the city of God. A few verses later we, we read, But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. It takes faith to see beyond the temporal into the eternal. In Hebrews 12, We are told about the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and the kingdom that cannot be shaken. And in the final chapter of Hebrews, we'll talk about a city that is to come. So we strive to rest now, knowing there's going to be an eternal rest. I'm just thinking in my head right now. Fairly dangerous to do when I don't have it written down, but let's go with it. Your week, today's Sunday. Monday, new week, right? So many things are going to get in your way to keep you from being at rest with God. So many things. Where's my cell phone, right? Let's just start there. Uh, That phone call, that to-do list, right? So many things. And we need to find ways to reprioritize the things in our day, so that we can be at rest. That's the challenge. That's the call. That's the call from Hebrews 4. And we do strive with an eye to a future glory, to a future home. Think about the anticipation some people have for a vacation when we think about rest. There's a date on the calendar when the family piles into the car, right? Or you get into the car and you go to the airport and get on the plane. It seems like kids are especially excited, excited about vacations. Preparing for a vacation takes work. You need to make the arrangements where you will sleep. You budget how much you're going to spend. You mark out all the tourist attractions. Or maybe you just plan to take it easy and fly fishing's your speed. Great, whatever it is, you do things in order to prepare to get to that particular point. Whatever it is you do, you strive knowing that there's going to be a payoff. Until Jesus returns, or your body is buried in the ground, you strive to be at rest in Christ, knowing that there's going to be a payoff, and there's going to be a future glory that will give you eternal rest. Now, I don't think we cease doing things in heaven, right? Far from it. In heaven, there will be no sin. There will be perfect peace. There will be pure rest in heaven. We will be back in the garden with our relationship with God completely unhindered. So, what is left for us to see from Hebrews 3, verse 9 to Hebrews 4, verse 13? All these verses are one unit, obviously talking about biblical rest. Last week was a focus on spiritual rest. Today I've tried to show you two more threads, the spiritual and the temporal rest, right? The physical rest that we need. Next week we're going to talk about the Lord's Day, the Sabbath. What does that have to do with rest? But here's the challenge I have before we end. I'm going to reiterate what I already said. What are the physical barriers in your life that prevent you from being at rest with God? What is going on in your day-to-day life to right that you need to do to rightly strive for rest. Again, I'm not talking about your your position before God. You've been justified. Yes and amen. If the Lord has saved you, he has you for all eternity. But you and I know that we can create barriers for ourselves. We do not rightly prioritize the things in our life, and we're tempted to restlessness and unbelief. Take time this week and do an inventory in your heart. Like if there's an application point, it's that. Take time this week to do inventory in your heart and about your life. Ask the hard questions. If you're married, talk to your spouse. Get help. And perhaps reconfigure a few areas of your life where you're not at rest. In particular, not at rest with God. I'm not necessarily talking about anything major. Could be. Rome was not built in a day. But perhaps you need to make practical and physical changes to find that deeper rest with God. Let's pray.